1: This episode is sponsored by our Patreon supporters, Chantelle Oliver, Jamie Lang, Mandy Booty, and Yvonne Marais. We're so grateful for all our patrons. We couldn't make the podcast without you. Hi, Katie. Hi, Olivia. I think I know the answer to this question, but I'm not sure. Hmm. Do you believe in destiny? Um, what do you mean by destiny? (laughs) Ah. Do you mean like fate that you can't escape? I guess the question is, what do you think destiny means? Oh. And and do you believe in it? Do you believe in fate you can't escape or... I used to, but I don't anymore. Huh? My philosopher husband does. He's a determinist. Really? I have converted to free will. Ha. <laughs> Interesting. Yeah. So there's the idea of destiny that's like you are meant for something in this world and the universe is going to steer you that way. But right. determinism is more like there are causes and effects in the universe mm. and everything is a well-oiled machine and it's totally predictable if mm. if you knew all the relevant pieces. So that's determinism. It's like to me it kind of it feels like the opposite of destiny because it's not like right. You think you're making choices, but everything is just yeah. happening because of what happened before. Yeah, exactly. So it's not like things happen for a reason. Mm. Instead, it's like things happen because of the endless string of causes and effects that go all the way back to the beginning of time. Mm. But I also don't believe that. I don't believe either. I don't believe in <laughs> destiny. Or determinism. <laughs> <laughs> Reading a lot more about theories about space time and hmm. um, the block universe, and I think there's free will. I, I, I do. I believe. Huh. We make choices. Take that, philosophers. <laughs> I think I, for a long time, believed halfway in destiny just enough to give myself extreme anxiety (laughs) that i i believed i was meant to accomplish some big thing Mm -hmm. but i didn't believe in destiny enough to believe that it would happen without me doing it Mm -hmm. so it was meant to happen but i was gonna screw it up somehow i was gonna be frodo that quit and destroyed the world how sad (laughs) it was pretty sad and (laughs) and it was very freeing to kind of realize I think that maybe people just choose things Ah, you don't have to fulfill some purpose maybe you can just choose what you want to do people choose a large purpose if they want one if they want one that reminds me of Emily du Chatelet. The exactly. most important thing is to be clear about what one wants to be and what one wants to do. And this is what almost all people lack. Yes, I was actually thinking about her a lot mm. in this one because seeing Emily du Chatelet go, I want to go live in a ramshackle, rundown villa and do science. hmm. That was just really because freeing, yeah. that people should do what they want if it doesn't hurt someone and let myself off the hook and let everyone off the hook of you have to somehow discover the secret path that you're supposed to follow and follow it. Yeah. It's much less anxiety producing. Right. You know, this halfway belief in destiny was probably pretty much the worst place for me to land right. <laughs> on this uh, mental health and productivity wise. Right. The woman that we're going to talk about today absolutely believed in destiny. Mm. She believed in destiny to the extent that she was absolutely fearless. That she would ride her horse directly into cannon fire, knowing that nothing was going to stop her from fulfilling her destiny. Ah, so that's the freedom of being full-on destiny. Yeah, so that if you know that it's going to happen, yeah, huh? you can do whatever you need to do. Yeah, that sounds freeing. Yeah, immensely reassuring <laughs> yeah. and empowering. Yeah. If you truly believe that you know what you need to accomplish and that God is on your side mm-hmm. and nothing will stop you... mm-hmm nothing will stop you. (laughs) And for this woman, it worked. This belief in her own invulnerability got her through some pretty astonishing circumstances. I'm Olivia Mickle, And I'm Katie Nelson. And this is What's-Her-Name. Fascinating women you've never heard of. So the woman we are talking about today is named Anita Garibaldi. Oh, have you ever heard of her? No. Well, there's a whole bunch of places and streets in Italy, right? Mm-hmm. Uh huh. There's like a yes. Garibaldi square and street and yes. How many streets and squares does and she? And also a statue. Ooh. On Geniculum Hill in Rome, ah. and it is. One of the coolest statues of a woman that I have ever seen. Well, I haven't seen it. I mean, I've seen a lot of statues in Rome. It's definitely the most active statue of a woman I have ever seen. Ooh. Aside from maybe a Greek goddess. Mm. Anita Garibaldi was born... Ana Maria de Jesus Ribeiro da Silva Wow Yes <laughs> In Brazil Okay In 1821 Huh She was a gaucho ah. Which is essentially A cowboy A cowboy Wow She is from a gaucho family in Brazil That's where cowboys came from huh. In the US Was importing this gaucho culture okay. From South America And she absolutely loved this lifestyle. She was wild and reckless, and her mother despaired of her. She was riding horses and shooting guns and roping cattle, and she loved it. Wow. Extremely skilled at all cowgirl skills. Love her already. Incidentally, 1821, that year she was born, that's the year that Bubulina started the Greek Revolution. (gasps) On the other side of the ocean. Oh, that's interesting because she is also reminds me of Bubulina and there's a few things going to come up. Whoa. Links to Bubulina. Cool. They were definitely sisters at heart. Awesome. To learn more about Anita Garibaldi, I talked to Diana Giovinazzo, who is the author of a book coming out in August called The Woman in Red, told from the perspective of Anita Garibaldi. Ooh which I highly recommend. Mm. Everybody needs to pre-order it right now. Mm.
0: Hi, I'm Diana Giovanazzo and I'm the author of The Woman in Red, a novel about Anita Garibaldi.
1: She is also the host of the Wine, Women, and Words podcast. Oh, cool.
0: I was initially researching my own heritage, because, you know, obviously with the last name like Giovanazzo, if you can't mm. tell, I am Italian. And I was just so fascinated by her when I came across her story. This here's a woman who I never heard of, who had such an impact on three different countries. She was just amazing. And her story was never told from her perspective or from a woman's perspective. Her biographer was male. The people who write about Giuseppe Garibaldi, they're mostly male. Some of the stuff that they say is very contradictory, some of it is just blatantly not true.
1: Anita Garibaldi was 12 years old, her father died, leaving her mother and Anita and her two sisters alone. Now, 19th century Brazil, not a great place for women to be on their own. Mm -hmm. And her mother marries off her two older sisters quickly Mm. and moves with 12 year old Anita to Laguna, which if people know is the place, the famous port in Brazil, where the dolphins chase the fish in for the fishermen every day. Oh, For hundreds of years, there's this pot of dolphins that come and chase all of the fish into the bay for the fishermen to catch. Hmm. And when Anita is 14, her mother tells her that she has to marry. Yeah. This is young, even for this
0: culture in time, for her to be marrying. Mm-hmm. Her mother thought that by marrying her off, she'd tame her. Her mother said something very startling to her on her wedding day that she had the look of men in her eyes and it scared her mother oh what does that mean i don't know
1: what Confidence? that means yeah it must be independence or refusal to be cowed <laughs> yeah whatever it was it scared her mom wow So she married her off to a much older man, a drunken cobbler. Whoa. This goes about
0: as well as one might assume this would go. (laughs) She hated it. She considered it to be a form of slavery, in her opinion. Mm. And it was a terrible marriage. She eventually ended up leaving him and moving back in with her mother. But they were still technically married. People like to downplay the fact that she was a child bride. Much later in her life,
1: Anita Garibaldi was in confession with a priest and he asked her about this early marriage and asked her if the marriage was consummated. Mm -hmm. And she had to ask him what that meant because she didn't even know what that word meant. (laughs) He, you know, I'm sure very awkwardly explained. And she said, oh, that, yeah, we did that. It was terrible. So, though her male biographers have tried to downplay this marriage, it was a betrothal or it wasn't a real marriage. Anita's own words make it very clear this was a marriage and it was terrible. Hmm. This place and time in which Anita Garibaldi is living is an extremely tumultuous time for Brazil. If you look at the history of Brazil, there are wars every two years for her lifetime. Mm-hmm. But in 1835, one of the most historically important wars in Brazil is just starting off, and it's known as the Ragamuffin War.
0: And it stems from Rio Grande do Sul, this really unique area in southern Brazil. And they broke away from the rest of Brazil, and the Gauchos rose up against their government. And they were called the ragamuffins because their clothes were all tattered and torn. And it kind of is a good thing for Anita, which is said to think that wars end up being a good thing for people. <laughs> but for her, it was fortunate for her because her husband, whose name was Manuel, he decides he's going to go off and join the Imperial Brazilian Army. And at this time where she was, war hadn't really come to Laguna. So he leaves, takes off, and she's on her own. And so she kind of has this period where she's working, cleaning houses, and she's working in the local hospital. And she's starting to get a little radicalized by the ideas of freedom and not being oppressed by government. And
1: then, on a fateful day, Destiny, Destiny intervenes. Giuseppe Garibaldi sails in to Laguna Giuseppe Garibaldi is quite a character already
0: he's very Han (laughs) Solo-esque he gets expelled from Italy they kick him out for causing problems with the Austrians because at this point Italy isn't really even a country it's just a peninsula Hmm. where you have a kingdom in the south called the Kingdom of the Two Sicilies. And then you have Austria to the north. And he starts causing problems for the Austrians because his dream is to have a unified Italy. So he goes to France,
1: gets kicked out of France, boards a ship, causes a mutiny on the ship. Wow. Sails around North Africa on this ship that he has taken over in this mutiny and eventually ends up in South America because he's heard from some of his Italian friends that there's a lot of great revolutions happening. He is just sort of an adventurer out looking for a fight. Uh-huh. He is a mercenary essentially.
0: Mm.
1: A gun for hire and willing to go in and and start up a revolution anywhere he lands. Mm. Now legend says, as Giuseppe sails into the port at Laguna, he sees this woman standing on a balcony. She is the most beautiful woman he has ever seen in his life. (laughs) He shouts out, she must be mine. (laughs) He dives overboard off the ship swims into the port, runs up to her balcony, (laughs) throws her over his shoulder, dives back into the water, and they sail away from the port of Laguna. (laughs) Don't tell me any other version. That's the version. Moving on. It is the (laughs) ultimate 19th century romantic story that's, Mildly terrifying to our 21st century right. ears, <laughs> <laughs> But this woman was Anita da Silva. And though he may not have dived into the Shh, water and snatched her and no. brought her back. Shh. He definitely did see her on the balcony as he sailed in. Oh. And he definitely did say, who is she? She must be mine. Okay. And... Then find a way to find her. Okay, I'll take it.
0: And so he starts making inquiries and he meets her through mutual friends, but she was still married. They had this affair that they tried to keep secret. But they're revolutionary rebel spirits,
1: so they don't care, right? Right, they don't care. But she's eighteen and living with her mother, so she cares enough to try to keep it secret for a while. He is thirty, so less of a age difference than her previous husband. Still, maybe not right. ideal, yeah. but, but common at the more time. normal for the time. Yeah. Eventually, the affair becomes public. Her family is furious, and so. She runs off with him into the war. Yes! The ragamuffin war is raging. He's anxious to get involved. She is fully equipped with all the skills necessary to be successful in a 19th century war. Right. She can shoot. She can ride. She's utterly fearless. Hmm. And so off they go. Awesome. They truly seem to have been incredibly devoted The way that they speak about one another, the way that they treated one another, the way that he spoke about her Hmm. throughout his life, even after her death, was really amazing and unusual Hmm. for the time period. He called her the queen of his soul, Hmm. and they really seem to have been passionately devoted to one another. Hmm. So... Off they go on his ship. Maybe the same one that he stole in a mutiny. I'm not sure. (laughs) (laughs) She is actively involved in sea battles. And they are headfirst into this ragamuffin revolution. Mm. So there's that Bubulina connection again. Exactly. Seafaring warrior woman. Yeah. No one else is going to do it. I'll do it. Mm -hmm. And off she goes.
0: Mainly because of her gaucho background, where mm-hmm. she's just like, I can shoot a gun, I can be a sailor, there's nothing uh, to it. And then they end up losing the battle for Laguna. They end up going into Rio Grande de Sol, and they, they fight through that. And it is during one of these battles
1: that this absolutely astonishing story takes place. During a major battle, Anita is right in the thick of it. She is on horseback. She's riding around the battlefield, directing lines in the middle of this battle. Things go badly. She decides she has to get off the field. And so she barrels directly at the opposing army. Their cannons, their gunfire, all of their soldiers, and just runs right through the middle of their line. (laughs) Why? BECAUSE DESTINY! Why run away when you know you're going to win? She knew she had a glorious destiny to fulfill. She's untouchable. And if you need to get off the field, why not go out the most glorious way possible (laughs) and take out as many people from their line as you can on the way out? Gun in hand, shooting her way through the lines. Wow. And in the course of this wild attack, she is captured. And waiting in the tent, the opposing army officials come in. They know exactly who she is. They come in to announce to her, Giuseppe Garibaldi has been killed, and she needs to give up and put her safety in their hands. Ah. And then they produce his poncho, and it is covered in blood. And she's terrified. Maybe he died.
0: This is impossible. How could this have happened? And she says, Fine, I'll tell you what you need to know, but you gotta show me my husband's body. This poncho's not enough for me. For a moment, there's a bit of panic, and then they're like, Okay. You can go search the battlefield for it. We don't have it. You have to go search for it. Thinking that she's going to give up on this. And she calls her bluff. And she's out there searching the battlefield for his body.
1: Looking at every dead body. Trying to find her husband. Hundreds of dead people. And she doesn't find (laughs) him. Instead and once she realizes he's not dead, they don't have him, she escapes. Yes. They have stupidly allowed her to leave the tent (laughs) and go search for her husband's body. And she takes off. Yeah. She steals a horse. What? And gallops away. The soldiers are chasing her. They're under orders to bring her back dead or alive. Her horse gets shot out from under her. No. And she falls from her horse. The horse rolls on top of her. (gasps) She somehow escapes on foot from the oncoming soldiers and runs directly into the river. Wow. Now the soldiers know there's no way she's going to survive this river. It's way too fast. It's way too deep. So they leave. She's not dead, of course. Destiny (laughs) will never allow her to die in this way. And she spends four days wandering around the wilderness trying to find Giuseppe with no food or water in the forest. She finally finds a couple of little old ladies (laughs) who give her some food and offer to shelter her for one night. And finally is able to discover where Giuseppe is and is finally reunited with him the next day. Wow. And goes straight back into battle. (laughs) She's the ultimate action hero. She truly is. Mm. Oh, um, did I mention that she's eight months pregnant during all (laughs) of this? (laughs) (laughs) Did I forget to mention (laughs) that? (laughs) You did. You did not mention that. Now I have to recast the whole thing in my mind. Yes, when she's wow, charging into the cannons, her horse is shot out, the horse rolls oh over gosh. her, she's running, oh they're telling her to go search for the dead bodies. That must be why they let her go and search, because right. they're like, this is a pregnant lady, she's not of going anywhere. Of course she would not do this, yes. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> they underestimated Anita Garibaldi. Wow. <laughs> I just, I've been pregnant three times, and I can't even imagine getting on a horse, yeah. let alone in a battle. It re- She must absolutely have been sure mm-hmm. that her destiny was assured. Yeah. Nothing was going to stop her. Even being told that her partner in destiny was dead, was not going to derail her faith that this was meant and nothing was going to stop them. Mm. They were revolutionary heroes and they were going to change the world. Mm. Let's pause for just a second to thank our sponsor, Girls Can Crate. At Girls Can Crate, our mission is to inspire girls to believe that they can be and do anything. Every month, they deliver a fearless female role model to your door or to your inbox. Every crate features an inspiring woman and her own unique story of why she's awesome, a 28-page activity book, plus everything you would need to complete two or three hands-on Steam activities and more. I love their new digital subscriptions, which come straight to your inbox. It comes with a colorful, printable notebook or you can view it on an iPad or your device. If it's a craft, they'll give you templates and instructions, printable worksheets, puzzles, art activities, and more. In addition to the digital subscriptions, if you're on a budget, they have mini mailers and then the full crates, which come out every month. Check them out. They are really amazing. And for our listeners, if you go to GirlsCanCrate, and enter the code HERNAME, you'll get 20% off your first crate on any subscription. Check them out now at girlscancrate.com, and make sure that you use the code HERNAME, all one word, so they know we sent you. Registration is now open on whats Your names Yucatan Tour 2024. Join us in Mexico as we walk in the footsteps of Zazel Ha, learn traditional Mayan cooking, tour Mayan ruins, snorkel with sea turtles, and so many more off-the-beaten-track adventures with our wonderful little band of kindred spirits. Spots are going fast, so sign up now on our website at whatshurnamepodcast.com.
0: We can't wait to see you there. Destiny was very much something that her and Giuseppe thought as a tangible thing. To the point where she kind of unnerved Feliciana. Are you thinking that Destiny is like this goddess? Do you think that this is a real person that's like standing here next to you? And, and he does kind of like, yeah, kind of was. Giuseppe Garibaldi later,
1: the way he describes this adventure mm. that she had, mm-hmm. her just absolutely a goddess of war. He talks about her as the, you know, the army is coming across the river mm. under fire, under cannon fire. Everyone else is huddled down, hiding in the boat's. And she is standing upright in the front of the boat with her gun outstretched, just absolutely fearless. (laughs) She will not be cowed and nothing will stop her. Mm -hmm. Which again, Bubulina, this standing in the boat, just refusing. Yeah. But apparently this isn't just artistic license. She actually did it. Uh She actually crossed the river, George Washington style, standing upright and didn't get killed. Yeah. I mean, of course she believed in destiny because she should have been killed constantly. (laughs) And she never died. Awesome. It's astonishing what she lived through. (laughs) So as the Uruguayan war winds down, Giuseppe finds out that he is now free to come back to Italy. And pursue his dream of a united Italy. (laughs) And so... Off they go. The Garibaldi's and their children. To start the next war. And as they arrive in Italy... She again dives right in. She's campaigning... With the people to join in... Giuseppe Garibaldi's... Revolutionary plan. And she's basically running PR for his war. Oh wow. Convincing all of the people to come and join in a con she's from brazil yeah and they're in italy mm. and she's wildly successful so she has learned italian has now started to learn to read and write she is has never learned to read and write whoa so she's doing all of this jeez being
0: unable to read and write oh my gosh so she ends up they go from there to his home which is He was born and raised in Nizza, which is now Nice, France. Mm. And that's where the children end up staying for most time. And she starts going back and forth to do the campaign stumping. But also, she starts fighting on the front. She dresses
1: up as a man to fight for the first time. Oh. She was just maybe so well-known in South America that she would just fight as herself. But in Italy, she starts dressing as a man. Oh, interesting to fight. Maybe like Italian men couldn't handle a woman. Yeah. And I don't know if people knew she was Anita Garibaldi dressed as a man or if she was actually trying to pass as a man, huh. but we do have a, an amazing photograph of her oh, in wow. her men's clothes. Whoa. At this point, Giuseppe Garibaldi's goals are, you know, modest, small. He just wants to completely take over the papal state (laughs) unify italy you know take over parts of france and austria (laughs) create an entirely new people's revolution right it's it's a small task Mm -hmm. (laughs) uh, but he is determined to push the pope out of rome oh he is determined to create a secular state and that the catholic church should not be in a position of government Ah. This is a fairly big deal at this point, when all of Rome is a papal state. But they do it. Hmm. They succeed, and they form the first Roman Republic in thousands of years. Take over Rome, they kick the Pope and the Catholic Church out of Rome. Wow. And they take over Rome and declare it the Roman Republic. Wow. That is full-on revolution absolutely revolution. And for a year, Rome is an independent republic. And the other nearby countries aren't too happy about this, you might guess, that in this time of spreading revolution, they don't exactly want this Mm -hmm. to be going on. And so France and Austria both come raging in to fight against the redshirt revolutionaries. Two very Catholic countries. And after a very long siege and a whole lot of history that, again, I'm neither qualified nor have time to discuss, the Red Shirts are defeated. Hmm. Rome falls to the French army. And on the retreat out of Rome, Anita Garibaldi catches what was probably malaria, and she dies on the retreat from Rome.
0: At the age of 28, she dies on retreat from Rome, and they had to bury her just outside of Ravenna. Some unfortunate things happen. She gets dug up by dogs, and they end up. They had to cremate her, and they put her to rest in Nizza.
1: Oh, it's not a great <sighs> ending. No, for her. Oh, and Giuseppe Garibaldi again talking about having to leave her in this grave, in this shallow grave, while they're retreating. Mm -hmm. Talked about it as leaving behind the Mm. treasure of his life, the queen of his soul. And he is just shattered Mm. at this. But that is not the end for Anita Garibaldi's ashes or her legacy. What? Because she is still recognized as the mother of Italy. Mm. That she and Giuseppe Created Italy. They together. It all. Yeah, they unified a bunch of small kingdoms and papal states and stuck together a country. That is a very handy legacy for future people to have used. Uh-huh. And so in the 1930s, when Mussolini is also waging a culture war and a literal war against the Pope. This is a very convenient story to take up. Oh as justification and historical predecessor Uh that
0: he can claim she's considered in many ways to be like the mother of italy and they already have his remains he's buried in sardinia Mm. off the coast of italy and so they had everything they could of him and here there was this hero revered mother figure and she was buried in france you know this is a way for him to bring home this hero to, you know, connect himself to the unification story.
1: At this point, there is already a magnificent statue on Janiculum Hill to Giuseppe Garibaldi. Huh. And the Pope asks Mussolini to take it down. Oh, it's like, that shouldn't be there. Mm-hmm. He unseated the Pope. He's not a hero. And please take the statue down. Huh. And Mussolini says, actually... In fact, I am going to put another statue of Anita Garibaldi on the same hill Wow. because they were great and you don't boss me around. Ah. So he not only builds this incredible statue of Anita Garibaldi, he sends for her ashes, Wow. which are now in Nice. They need to be in Italy. Mm-hmm. So he goes and gets her ashes from Nice and her ashes are now inside this statue of her it is also her grave whoa and now instead of just a statue of giuseppe garibaldi there is this incredible statue of anita garibaldi on her horse gun in hand rearing back just i mean it looks like the most fantastic fantasy cowboy art you've ever seen (laughs) And it's unbelievable. I've never seen a woman depicted like this, Mm -hmm. a mortal woman, in a statue. And it's amazing. Wow. It's a gorgeous piece of art. But it's also so complicated because it's Mussolini who built it. Yeah. (laughs) Co-opting this legacy Mm -hmm. that has nothing to do with what he's doing Mm
0: -hmm.
1: to justify his fascist regime and he really tried to style himself after the Garibaldis Garibaldi's army were the red shirts he calls his army the black shirts he is invoking this legacy of this heroic couple Mm -hmm. over and over again to solidify his position yeah classic when he probably would have hated Anita Garibaldi because his fascist regime is famously misogynistic yeah And yet, even in invoking her, it's such an odd statue for him to choose because in the way he talked about Anita Garibaldi, it was always about her as mother, the mother of her children, the mother of the nation, this very like passive, Mm. traditional mothering figure, which is the opposite of everything that she was.
0: They emphasize the mother aspect of her. Like when you see her at the foot of Giuseppe's statue, They really emphasized the mother portion of her i don't think she would have been too fond of him
1: that's interesting so like if they were presenting her as mother you'd expect a statue would be motherly yeah but instead she's instead she's this heroic yeah yeah it's so fascinating and i i just the psychology of that choice is so Interesting. interesting you know, it does. The first time I saw it, my just gut response before I knew anything about her was, yeah! (laughs) That you just, yes! She is awesome! I don't even care who she is. (laughs) And so I'm sure it worked on that level, you know, fearlessly confronting the enemy. but, But what a complicated legacy now for her to have This dual legacy of what she really did Mm -hmm. and the way she was used and literally the way her body was used after her death Mm -hmm. to to signify nationalistic goals that didn't align at all with her nationalistic goals. And and for a nation that she is not from. Yeah. The mother of Italy is Brazilian. Yeah. That's awesome. That's amazing! Yeah. A Brazilian gaucho! And did she have any nationalistic goals? She's fighting yeah, in or was she just... wars in all kinds of countries. Everywhere. Is she just a fighter? Yeah. <laughs> I mean, he's if he's Han Solo, mm-hmm. and and of course she gets marginalized and left out of the story mm-hmm. in all of the men writing about her. Now, finally, with people like Diana Giovanazzo and people trying to bring her story back, we have the true story Mm -hmm. but if he's Han Solo who is she? she's she's not Princess Leia no we don't have a female Han Solo yeah we don't have an icon we don't have an avatar for that maybe that's why it's so complicated for Mussolini to take her story because how do you tell this story? what even is Mm. this story? and I guess he created the avatar of a fierce woman on a horse with a gun yeah (laughs) Which she absolutely she was. was. Yeah. <laughs> we don't have an avatar for that, but Right. They have one in Greece. Yeah. Yeah. They've got And South, one America in South America has Anita Garibaldi. Yeah. She is the avatar. She is in Greece. You're a Bubalina. Yeah. In Brazil, in Uruguay, and in Italy, you're an Anita Garibaldi. Mm-hmm. So what are the sources we have on her to know her real story? Right, because she she couldn't read or write yeah. so she didn't write her life down in this case we must all be incredibly grateful for gossip and for unethical priests
0: <laughs> she had this conversation with a woman named Feliciana And Feliciana, you gotta love that little gossip from (laughs) the 19th century, because thanks to her, we have this record of her in her own words. She talked to Anita, go home and scribble down her whole conversation. That was such a treasure for me, especially in writing this book.
1: She just started
0: talking to this neighbor
1: and they would meet for coffee and just discuss their lives. And Feliciana was so staggered by the stories coming out of this woman hmm. that every time they would meet she would run home and write them down oh. She would write down Anita Garibaldi's words in her journal and say you won't believe what Anita told me today huh? and now we have this incredible first person archive of and how Anita saw her own life oh cool And that's the source material that Diana Giovanazzo was able to use to uncover some of these things that have never been told or that have been told wrong or that have been downplayed or erased. Cool. And then in a moderately unethical (laughs) turn, we also have her confession to the priest that we mentioned earlier. Oh, yeah. Which he should not have been sharing with people. I was wondering, how do we know this? (laughs) But he did. Ah, And this confession actually came about because-
0: In her conversations with Feliciana, it came up that she wasn't actually married to Giuseppe. And Feliciana had a panic attack about that because she's a good Catholic woman. And so she got this priest involved and they cooked up the scheme to get Giuseppe and Anita married. And when she went in to talk to the priest about everything, the priest asked her to confess her sins.
1: And out of that comes the last story I want to talk about, which I think is fascinating and heartbreaking and incredibly illuminating and also incredibly unsettling. Hmm. Whatever this priest expected to hear, I don't think it was this.
0: She said, "I want to confess this in a sin of vanity." And he was kind of thrown off by this because she was not this vain <laughs> woman, and that's when she tells a story about what happened in the battlefield. From her perspective, it wasn't about just finding her husband's body out of devotion. It was, what if he is dead? And if he was dead, she could have a life of her own apart from him, where she could be just as famous as him. And those were the thoughts that were going through her mind when she was eight months pregnant on the battlefield. People can know my name. Wow now bearing in mind everything that
1: we know about this marriage that this was a devoted passionate, absolutely loving marriage this story is confounding mm. I think it it really demonstrates how desperate someone can be to be known for themselves to mm-hmm. be their own agent to be recognized for their own individual identity instead of as... An adjunct yeah. to something else. Yeah. That even in this apparently happiest of marriages, most devoted and loving marriage, she feels so overshadowed mm-hmm. under her husband's name that her worst sin she can confess is that for a moment she thought about what it might be like mm-hmm. to be known for herself. Wow. I can't stop thinking about it because it's so complicated. Mm-hmm. And you can imagine this poor priest trying to deal with this. This, How many Hail Marys for wanting to be a person? What a, a complicated life she had. And that even though this belief in destiny saved her life over and over and made her this terrifying warrior, it really seems to have also trapped her Mm -hmm. in this belief that that her destiny was so inextricably tied to Giuseppe's destiny. Yeah. Yeah, I don't know how to think about this. Yeah. Did she want this destiny Mm. or did she feel stuck in it? Yeah. Maybe a belief in destiny is comforting in that way, like you were talking about at the beginning. Yeah. Yeah, It couldn't have been anything different. It's useless to think about what might have been because... Because destiny put me here. Yeah. Hmm.
0: It's interesting because she's the heroine of two continents. Yeah. But it's almost like there is this disconnect between the two where Italy sees her very much as their own. And, oh yeah, she's Brazilian. And then Brazil and Uruguay see her as their own. And then they're like, yeah, she goes off to Italy.
1: All of those places claim her. Yeah. And sort of disregard the other half of her life that Hmm. she is a Brazilian hero Mm -hmm. and they barely mention the Italy stuff. She is the mother of Italy. Yeah. And no mention is made of her Brazilian experiences Mm. that need to claim an icon. Right. Make her ours and make her uncomplicated. Yeah. Is never clearer than when two people are doing it at the same time. Mm
0: -hmm. Mm Mm-hmm
1: and that the truth of that very complicated double icon legacy is way more interesting Mm -hmm. so that's why everyone should read the book it'll be released on august 5th which is the anniversary of the day that anita garibaldi died oh well i'm glad she has a statue She has several statues. She has a statue in Laguna. Ah. She has a statue in Uruguay. She has two statues in Italy. That's awesome. As you said, there are streets named after her. Yeah. That she does have her story in these places and that the rest of us just need to start paying attention. Awesome. Huge thanks to Diana Giovinazzo, whose novel The Woman in Red comes out on August 5th, and our intern, Isabella Martinez. If you'd like to learn more about Anita Garibaldi and find links to books, photographs, pictures of the amazing statue, and several other statues of Anita Garibaldi that we were talking about, visit our website at whatshernamepodcast.com. There you can also sign up to become one of our Patreon supporters. You can support us for as little as a dollar a month, and we have great thank you gifts like our trading cards, your own thank you on an episode of What's Her Name, and lots of custom cross-stitch patterns. Become a supporter at our website, whatsernamepodcast.com, and click donate. You can also follow us on Instagram, Twitter, and Facebook, where we post lots of photos each week. Music for this episode was provided by Alejandro Kramashi, Amanda Setlick-Wilson, LaTaba, Doug Maxwell, and Jeff Kuno. Our theme song was composed and performed by Daniel Foster Smith. What's Her Name is produced by Olivia Mickle and Katie Nelson, and this episode was edited by Olivia Mickle.